If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we got another BGDL community spotlight, and we're talking about abstract dexterity games. We're talking to Frank Cerro from Argentano Publishing. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Gabe. Great to be here. Yeah, man. Glad to have you here. You have a very interesting game that I saw many moons ago, back when it was you know not even uh, a thing yet. You were still just working on it and, and kind of bringing the project along. And now it's up on Kickstarter, a game called Pathways, which is very much an abstract dexterity game. And so it kind of fits right in to uh, this conversation. I'm just excited to understand how do you design one of these? What are the things to uh, think about? All that kind of stuff. But before we get into it, who are you? How'd you get in game design? All that kind of thing. Thanks, Gabe. Uh, so yeah, my name is Frank and uh, game design is new for me. I've been a long time a gamer. I mean, we're talking back to 1979, old school D&D, uh, Avalon Hill games. Uh, I uh, went to a, a next door neighbor's house and he had this game sprawled on the floor. And I thought, what in the world is that? And it was Squad Leader, the original Squad Leader. And I was absolutely gobsmacked and uh, fascinated. And that uh, never ceased. Gotcha. And then, so what got you into game design, you know, later on, though? Because uh, you you and I were talking actually yesterday about how this is kind of like a going into retirement phase, designing, publishing. So what made you want to dive into to things now? Yeah, it took a while to, uh, to get the bug. Of course, I think just like with most gamers, it's always in the back of the mind. And uh, I was really waiting for inspiration to sit, to hit. I mean, you know, I've got a regular day job and family and we're on to grandkids and life is busy. And uh, so it kind of came along with COVID uh, 2020. I had most of the year off. We were asked to clear out our holiday bank, which left me ample amount of free time. And I was doing my 10,000 steps a day, walking about three to five miles a day and uh I thought this is a good a time as any, and and uh, I kind of thought, well, where do you start? And uh, this is over the process of, of a little while, of course, but uh, and so the two genres that kind of stuck out to me for being simple in quotation marks, uh, of course, there is, nothing's that easy. But uh, I kind of thought I love dexterity games. Maybe there's something in that space. I really like not as maybe as much as, as dexterity games, but I really like abstract games, and maybe that's another. Avenue, and then I thought I had uh, a bit of a silly thought. Well, could it, could you possibly mix the two, which are pretty disparate and and, and uh, really couldn't be more different? And 
So I kind of thought to maybe take that quite uh, literally. And, and um, so what went on in my mind in that walk was, well, what if you're just flicking a disc across the chessboard? And of course, I think, well, what's the point of that? There's no resistance. And, and of course, I've, I've been a, a student to listen to your podcasts, uh, you know, a bit of a, a YouTube junkie and, and uh, anything board game related. And um, what I learned kind of, you know, exploring uh, Dexterity games that, that uh, there's always something to challenge you in the game. And so in the case of Crokinole, it's the post. Crokinole without the post is boring. It's it's not, it's probably not not a game. And so as I was flicking this disc in my mind across the chessboard, there's, there's just no real point to it. <laughs> Apparently, though, actually, if you look it up in BGG, it's a kind of a Russian sounding name. There is actually is a uh, non-credited game to flick a, a disc across the chessboard, but uh, I didn't see any point in that. So uh, then I start to think, well, those checkerboard patterns could be something. And what if they were kind of divots? Again, I was thinking, well, they, they don't do much. They might kind of sit there. And then boom, it just kind of dawned on me. What if those divots in the shape of a chessboard pattern were actually holes? And that's where pathways came to be and right away just it kind of thought hmm this could be something you're flicking across the board and as this fall into holes they're going to create a new flat surface making the way across the board a little bit easier and that's what i iterated for about a year and a half and uh here we go we're, we're ready to, to to give it a shot out in the world yeah very cool all right i, I want to hear a little bit more about pathways and just the things you learned in the design process. But before we get into that, let's get a, a good little working definition. You mentioned uh, Crokinole. I mean, these are games like Jenga, Clask, even pool, you know, billiards, I feel like is a kind of an abstract dexterity game. You're literally hitting a ball with a stick trying to knock it into a hole. And, uh, and so what, what would be your like definition of these games though? I, I've played with that quite a bit. I, I, and actually I'm, I'm even half convinced or maybe half convinced myself that, uh, that maybe even video games are, are kind of dexterity games you, you see those kids on those controllers and it's, it's pretty amazing. And, uh, but, uh, really I, I kind of myself prefer the, the really super basic, uh, kind of, uh, dexterity games. So of course we have those hybrids. I've got dead of winter really enjoy that, but I like these simple kind of almost abstract, like, um, Games like like Crokinole, like Carom, probably even like Carom a little bit better. I, I uh, um, just like aspects of that game with the striker um, and carried that in, into uh, some of the design for the playmat games. Yeah, Dead of Winter, Flick 'em Up, which I think is the game you're, you're referring to. Yes. Wow, what just a fun fun game and, and flick them up itself was excellent. And then they added the zombies and that big tower or, you know, that kind of this beautiful piece. I say beautiful. It's interesting uh, piece on the board. Yeah. It's, it's such a good, good game. Um, junk art is another one that kind of comes to mind. And I guess that one kind of has a theme you're making art, but I mean, it's literally just random pieces of shaped wood that you're stacking, you know what I mean? And so it's interesting to see some of the, um, the ways that designers have approached these games, um, I guess curling in the Olympics, I guess is kind of a, abstract dexterity game in a lot of ways. Like I feel like there's a lot of these kinds of games uh, out in the world. And then, but a lot of times designers do, or publishers do try to add some kind of theme. Uh, I remember the game animal upon animal where you're stacking animals up and they have some reason that you're doing that. But I mean, what are we doing really is just stacking little wooden pieces. And so why do you think some publishers or some designers stay abstract and they just keep it red and black pieces and we don't have any 
you know, theming at all. But then other publishers, they try to add some kind of ridiculous reason or some, you know, thematic reason why we're doing this dexterity kind of thing. What do you think? What are, what are some of the things to think about? Because I'm sure you thought about it. Like, do you want to add fantasy monsters? Do you want to add some kind of theme to the to the game? But so tell me from a designer and a publisher, like the aspect, like the different angles of what you're thinking about as far as theme versus just not worrying about it. Yeah, Gabe, I think it kind of starts with that kind of uh, base design. So for what I had, it, uh, you know, again, flicking a disc across the board, there, there, I just didn't see a lot of opportunity for theme. You can kind of add to it by adding some animation to the discs and kind of played around with that a little bit. Uh, being old school Wargamer, my, my original uh, name for the game was Cavalcade, so I imagined an old school uh, cavalry charge, and this is just think of it: World War One trenches as you're trying to get to the other side. And I abandoned that uh, pretty quickly. But uh, as you see, you kind of sometimes try to kind of force something in there, and when you need to force it like that, you're just better off to to kind of uh, leave it out. Now, of course, if you're implementing cardboard in a game, again, um, you know. The uh, Den of Winter, Winter example is is perfect for that. Uh, you know, they just they just make it work. But when it's super simple with discs on a board, yeah, I just don't think it's very necessary. Yeah, that's a really good way to way to look at it. And so, a lot of these games have kind of expensive components, right? They're big wooden kind of things. They're sturdy things. They might have uh, balls or discs that are, are you know made of some really quality materials, and so they can be a bit expensive as, as games to manufacture and then to sell. And so what are things that you're thinking about? Cause I know pathways has this really nice bamboo board with all these, you know, cut out holes and you've got these really nice acrylic discs that are going across the, the board. And so tell me from a, a publishing standpoint, as a design standpoint, what you're thinking when you, you've got a game like this, that is going to require quality components. Cause I mean, you could, you could probably do some thick chip board, but then maybe it, you know, is not the best. It's not as good as wood. And so anyway, give me your thoughts uh, on just kind of the component side of things. Well, yeah, great question, David. It really, uh, you know, once you have that idea to bring it out into the world is is a huge step. And so I realized right away as the, you know, that thought came across my mind and I went to the garage and I found a, all I had was a quarter inch MVF board. I painted a, a child's bicycle on and cut a piece of board out of that. Uh, drew some circles on a, on a graph paper and, and kind of spaced them out what looked reasonable to me and and hand drilled 49 holes uh, trying to hold this this little template in place and uh, and quickly thought uh, yeah even with the router this is you know this isn't going to be a, a garage job you know uh, it would need something like a CNC router so uh, without too much of a long story I mean I went to a lo- local routing shop and and I, I, I think it would cost about twenty dollars a board so um, quickly you realize that uh, you've got to find other options. And so Asia was obvious, and I explored that. We tried wood, a couple of different iterations. The board is about 12 by 15 inches, and so wide enough, especially with the with the holes, that it could be prone to warping. And as we iterated, uh, bamboo became the next obvious answer, and that was it. It's just hard as steel, really stays true. Um, we have a guarantee from the manufacturer to a certain tolerance, uh, which we're going to support, and it's just holding up beautifully. Um, you can stain it. Um, it just works brilliantly. 
Right. It's so important to get that aspect right when you're flicking, when you're sliding something, because the play space, it changes the game. And if and if the play space doesn't work just right, the game can literally be unplayable. This is something I ran into several years ago when I was desi- designing a game called The Final Flick Tier, which was this kind of dexterity-based uh, space family 4X style game. And originally I had chipboard or I was just going to use normal uh, game boards for the play space. But because of the folds in the middle, the the pieces and the dice that you're flicking would get stuck. And it, and so it became just not super fun. And anytime you had to cross over the, any of those uh, creases in the board, it, it just didn't work. It would get you know stopped right there. And so, you know, I had to think through and say, like, well, we could use chipboard and maybe I use tiles, but all of those had the same problems. You know, if, if the, any of those warp at all, then you have creases, you have, you have basically barriers. And so eventually we ended up with a neoprene mat and mm-hmm. that works perfectly because it just rolls out and you don't have to worry about folds or creases or anything like that. And, and the, the dice and the components, they slide really, really well. And so I guess there's just a ton of trial and error and iteration and trying to figure out what works the best. Anything else you ran into as far as like the pieces, like you use acrylic, uh, you know, I don't know if you thought about using wood or anything else, but so from a pieces standpoint, not just a board, what else are you thinking about? So that was the obvious next step. So we, uh, we got the board and of course, you know, we have to ship these samples from a long ways away and that's, that's costly. And we, I got a new set of discs and they were not performing well. They've got to sit in that hole. You know, it doesn't actually have to be perfect, um, but there, you know, still has to be, you know, not a lot of leeway as they're sitting into the hole. And so not happy with what I was seeing with the wood. And as I kind of challenged that, yeah, there, you can cut them to size, but they still need to be kind of uh, sanded and beveled. And by the time you're done with that, they're, they're too small. And um, so again, with the advice with the manufacturer, uh, Creating a mold from acrylic was really the best bet. Almost like clones, not quite though. Again, you still have to leave some tolerance in there because there still is some machining after the fact. So you have to make a kind of room for that, but much, much more true. But the biggest benefit was, which I didn't see or anticipate until I got them, was the weight. And what a huge difference. I really had to relearn the game after hundreds of plays on my home board and, and these iterations. Uh, acrylic discs are heavier, uh, which ended up being a huge boost or, or a good thing. Um, so wood was coming in about four grams and no, about three, yeah, about four grams. And these were coming in about seven grams. So almost twice as much. Um, doesn't hurt your fingernail because this is not, this is, this is, the board is 15 inches end to end and you don't have to shoot that far. So it's very much a control game. So you do not have to hit this very hard. Um, and um, so the action on the disc was interesting because once a acrylic disc hits an acrylic disc, there's more transference from that disc that you're flicking onto the other disc, whereas wood more is absorbed into the disc that you're shooting. And so we had to really relearn the shots, but uh, the extra weight was a huge boost of falling into the holes. Um, and also if there's a little bit of variance, uh, if the disc is sitting a little bit into the hole, it's has enough momentum to carry over and you almost don't even notice it. So um, they performed extremely well. Gotcha. Now, yeah, this seems like the kind of games where you really do need the manufacturer's prototype, right? You can't just go do it in your garage. You can't just do it, go on the game crafter. You know, maybe you can, if you're using basically those exact same components, but for the most part, you're probably going to need 
the uh, like as close to what it's going to be manufactured as possible. Whereas most games are just cards; they're just dice. You know, you can have stuff that's written on note cards, and it's not that big a deal because you you, know, you understand how the game plays. But with these games, you really do need the weight and the size to be pretty much exact to what it's going to be. Otherwise, the game could be very different than you're putting out on Kickstarter or you're sending out to reviewers or you're just playtesting. And so, yeah, it, it could get a little like uh, a little expensive when you're having to get those those made in China and then shipped over to you in the states or in Canada or, or Europe, wherever you live. And so, definitely something to think about um, as far as the costs and getting out review copies and, and things like that. It's it's not a cheap endeavor. And so, anything that you've learned in that process, in that side of things, any ways that you were able to maybe cut some costs so it wasn't quite as expensive to have really nice prototypes, anything at all. Um, no, no real shortcuts there. Just as you uh, explained, it's really expensive and time consuming. So you, um, you know, the discs and the board have to be uh, kind of a machine and, and then uh, sent to you and then you've got to test and, and come up back again. And so the plus side is that development. So uh, I guess the good thing going into something like crowdfunding Kickstarter now is a lot of the development is done. Uh, for it. And then there's just not a lot that's going to change. I don't think there's going to be too many surprises in there. Still make adjustments uh, either way to the, the board size. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want to change it too much, but, uh, or the disc, but the good thing is, is that all of that is a bit of a payoff that, that a lot of the development is done and hopefully there's quicker turnaround. Uh, so it's, it's that kind of project where, of course we see ones where, where, you know, projects where it's, um, the game still needs development. We see that a lot. And, and a smaller project like this, a lot of the development is done. So hopefully it's it's a matter of placing an order fairly quickly. And, of course, with the shipping situation as it is, no such thing as a quick delivery. But if, you know, cross our fingers, um, you know, that goes okay and we can have a decent turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's uh, look at it from more of a design standpoint. A lot of these type of games involve putting something into a hole or into a certain space uh, onto a certain target like it just seems like that's the the kind of natural uh, order of things as far as our our design space goes and so how do you stand out how do you design something that is different enough even if it is you know put the ball in the hole and that's almost every sport there is it seems like you know put the ball in the net or something like that so how do you how do you design in a way that it's different enough where people go oh okay yeah i need this in addition to all the games i already have on my shelf well there's no secret sauce or, or answer to that really it's you know the, the interesting thing is is that there's still a lot of space in dexterity it isn't the most um you know popular genre out there uh, again i think because of that basicness there's a, seems like there's only so much you can do but it's amazing what you can, you know, do when you kind of get creative and, and you try something different. Really, I was looking for something that was going to be a little bit easier to get to the table and more portable than something like a crocodile board. I love my crocodile board, love the game. It's just a bit of a pain, you know, for us. We store it down in the basement and you got to dig out the, the, the discs and bring it up and... It's, you know, it's a bit of a, a kind of a showpiece and, and um, you know, almost have to set a date to, you know, do something like that. So I really wanted something really uh, simple to get to the table. Yeah, it's another good point. You can go from a mobility standpoint because there's a lot of these games that are excellent. They're a lot of fun. Clask is great. Mm-hmm. Probably not going to take Clask on a bunch of road trips. You know, it's, it's, it just doesn't lend itself uh, to that. And so, yeah, something else to, to think about for, as far as the angle of your design space. It's like, okay, this game is kind of like a game already out on the market, but I'm doing it from a way, uh, from an angle 
that is easier to get to the table, easier to transport, easier to take on a trip or on, on the airplane or something like that. I think that's um, an interesting kind of angle to uh, to approach it from. But uh, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the playtesting of these games. What are the things you're looking at? I mean, obviously, you're playtesting the the actual like prototype as much as anything else and making sure, okay, are the holes big enough? Is the board big enough? Like you're actually doing a lot of product testing along with playtesting. But what are some of the other things that you're uh, looking at? You know, it's it's pretty typical with any kind of play testing, and that's the player experience. That's the biggest thing that you want to see. The level of frustration, dexterity is challenging, as we know. Uh, and it's I gave up on golf a long time ago because I just couldn't get any any better than I was. And of course, I still get out a few times a year and, and enjoy it. But uh, when you reach that peak, you know you can get uh, frustrated. So really, watching the uh, you know people's experience and. And it was interesting to see the difference between a, a 10-year-old play and, and an 80-year-old play. And I've played with all, and I've seen all age ranges where the kids are, they're not aiming. They're just flicking and having fun. And it's almost a race to, and but they just love seeing it uh, fall into the hole and flying off and hitting each other and, and uh, you know, big jumps when they're getting it into the, uh, uh, into the scoring hole um, to really you know, measure shot where somebody takes a you know quite a few seconds to to measure their shot and shoot so um it's just interesting to see the whole range of experiences but really that's just what you're trying to measure is that kind of experience for especially something like this that's just a little bit lighter a little bit more of a family almost party style i i can actually see this getting competitive it'd be interesting to see if that kind of things develops i'm going to encourage that uh, with retailers and it'll be interesting to see where that goes yeah, for sure. So what are some ways that you can kind of bridge the gap between the 10-year-old and the 35-year-old? Because obviously motor skills come into play there. Obviously, whoever has more experience playing the game is probably going to be a little bit better at it, at least early on. So what are some ways that you can make the game maybe a little bit simpler for some players or a little bit more challenging, a little more complicated for other players to kind of make it a little more fair? You know, if I'm playing against my, my 13-year-old, I probably have to not play as hard as I normally would if I was playing against another adult. And so what are some ways that you found with your game or maybe just other dexterity in general to kind of bridge that gap of skill level. Yeah. Again, with the dexterity game, that's, that's pretty easy to, uh, to do. But one thing to do, there's a lot of kind of uh, offense and, and defense where somebody's got a disc right on the edge of the scoring hole. And uh, you know, with our competitive players, we don't hold back. We get rid of that disc and you just leave those alone, you know, just let them uh, kind of play their game and, and, uh, and just have fun with it. So, you know, it, it's it, game takes five minutes. So it, it's not a long time to get too, too frustrated. Uh, each player gets 12 discs each, and it just doesn't take that long. Um, and even with the competitive game, and games are still only taking five or six minutes. And and that's where the, uh, um, you know, um, if you want to play a match game where you're, you're playing several games and that's really a good way to enjoy the game. And, and then what we introduced, uh, Gabe was, uh, as I was thinking, well, how do we value add this? And the playing surface that you're on, uh, is somewhat important. You can play it on anything as long as it's, it's level. I do like a thin tablecloth and I kind of thought, well, if I want something to value add, the way to go would be, um, a neoprene mat, just as you mentioned, and the acrylic disc on the neoprene mat is butter. It's like a well-seasoned and dusted uh, crokinole board. It uh, just slides beautifully. 
And um, so that's the way I was able to kind of value add. So the disc just sits on the mat. It's a nice, even playing surface to play. Now you lift up the board and you use the same discs. And now this is where it can get fun with kids. It is less challenging. You're playing very simple, closest to the middle. I actually have five iterations to play on the game mat itself. Three iterations on the bamboo board itself. So if you get the whole set, you've got a lot of options in there. And so you've got a lot of ways to kind of entertain all ages. Or if you want to play competitively with your partner who, who have you on the on the board while the kids are playing the on the mat, you know, there's uh, there's different ways to kind of get enjoyment out of the game. Yeah, and you bring up two really good points there. And one is that you can have lots of variants with these games. I feel like there are a lot of different uh, ways that you can approach the normal game, so to speak, and you can kind of offer something new. And maybe it's a little simpler, maybe it's a little more complicated, but you can use the same components, the same ideas, but still have different games, different ways to play. But then also you, you mentioned time. You know, it's hard to get upset about a five-minute game. You know, right. like if it doesn't go your way, well, just play again. <laughs> it's, it's fine. It, it took five minutes, right? Yeah. And and so I think that's another thing to think about with dexterity games. Most of them aren't very long. Like they rarely go over 20 or 30 minutes. And if they do go over that, it, there better be a really good reason uh, for it because a lot of times they, they just, I don't know that. I don't know that you would want to play a three-hour dexterity game like this uh, maybe maybe if you were in like a, a pool tournament or something that was like really hyper competitive and you're playing for a bunch of money or something like that like then that's fine but um uh, <laughs> games like this seem to lend themselves to being shorter and being better exactly. right and so i think that's something to uh, think about anything you want to add as far as time like as far as crokinole i can't remember how long crokinole games take but can you think of any games in this genre that take a long time really no no there isn't and and that's where they're fun at tournaments because of that, because you can extend that uh, that game out and and uh, you know really get fun competitively with it. Uh, I've seen some of the class uh, class tournaments and uh, they just do a fabulous job. If you ever seen any of their, their YouTube videos, it's just really entertaining. And uh, so hopefully we can get a bit of a tournament scene going on. This we'll see how how it catches on. But yeah, just to your uh, the point uh, with the iterations, uh, the beauty of the bamboo board was. Uh, easy to screen print uh, without having any detriment to the discs and, and two-sided right away. We just saw the opportunity of, of having a double-sided board. And so uh, one side is the basic game and the other side uh, on one side, you're scoring on only the single back row on the other side is a bit of a simple variant where you're getting two points for the last row and one point for the second last row. So again, now you're scoring for the, the back two, two rows, which makes things a little bit easier for players as well. It's, it's challenging. You, you need to, to practice pathways. It, it takes a, takes some practice. Very cool. Well, Frank, this has been great. Do you have any closing thoughts? Anything you want to leave listeners with as far as abstract dexterity games? Well, I, I think they're uh, underappreciated in a way. And I think just because that they're, they can be a bit challenging because they can be so basic, the tools are, are fairly basic. Uh, again, you, you talked about stacking, stacking or anti-stacking with Jenga or, you know, uh, there's, you know, discs and we've seen some wonderful uh, iterations with different size discs, but there's, there's room in the, uh, there's space in, in, uh, in the genre. And uh, um, I think it's worth the attention. I, I think it's underrepresented. Yeah, I definitely agree. One of my favorite games that's come out over the last year or, or two has been the fuzzies, which was a totally <laughs> different take on Jenga and my kids love it. We were just playing it the other night. And again, it takes like three minutes to play and then you just play it over and over again. And uh, it's a game I always recommend to people to check out. Well, Frank, thanks for, thanks for being on the show. Your, uh, your game pathways up on Kickstarter right now. Give me the two minute elevator pitch for it and why people should check it out right now. 
Thanks, Gabe. Very, very simple. Uh, we're keeping it really simple. No stretch goals, trying to keep things uh, as affordable as possible. Of course, it is. Uh, there's a lot to the game, and it's, it's uh, you know, a bit costly to produce, but still a reasonable rate out there. But it's at uh, Pathways Dexterity Game. should be easy to search. We've got a, uh, a very fairly active uh, Facebook group called Pathways Skillshot. Hopefully, we'll get people scare, uh, sharing their, their amazing shots on there. I've I've posted a few shots on there. It's fun to take a look at. We're on the usual channels, uh, search for Pathways Game or Pathways Game System, and it uh, should be easy to find or reach out at pathwaysfun at gmail.com. Very cool. And again, that's on Kickstarter uh, right now. Well, Frank, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with the campaign. I hope it does really well and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thank you very much, Gabe. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?